Good morning. I think there's an idea going around at the back of all of our minds at this time. For many of us, it's, it's more than an idea. It's a worry we chew over and play around with. For some of us, it's a fear. Whether for you it's a thought or a fear or a worry, here's how it's articulated. Not if there's a so-called second spike here in Jersey, but when there's a second spike here. If this scenario describes you, this is why we're teaching this series, looking at how Jesus helps us to be emotionally healthy and spiritually alive as we daily ride this thing that's been called the Corona Coaster. This emotional roller coaster of endless loops of highs and crashing lows. We're just where we feel it's about to stop. There's a dark tunnel ahead and we're not really sure if there's a light at the end or another twist and turn. And we arrive at another week of uncertainty ahead. Going back to this idea of whether this thing in the back of our minds is an idea or a worry or a fear we all have. I was reading last Wednesday an interview with an epidemiologist in New Zealand. If you're not quite sure what an epidemiologist is, which is kind of like what, what at the position I was in, they're a disease detective. In other words, what they do is they study causes of disease and who might be at risk and how do you control the spread of the disease and even better prevent it from happening again. One sentence in this interview with this epidemiologist, Professor Michael Baker, is very helpful to our message today when he said in the context of coronavirus coming back to New Zealand after 100 days, one thing you have to plan for is setbacks and be prepared for them. One thing you have to plan for is setbacks and be prepared for them. The same mindset is needed by us as we daily ride the Corona Coaster. There will be setbacks spiritually and emotionally, and we have to be prepared for them. It's why I've said we're teaching on this series, looking at how we can thrive through this storm, which is God's desire for each of us, so that when the setbacks come, we will have a structure and a rhythm in place to enable us to be emotionally healthy and spiritually alive, where we live a life of power, where we're able to do the right thing, the God thing, at the right time for the right reason. To ensure we can be prepared, we're exploring some of the invitations that Jesus gives in the Gospels that were so transformative to those who first heard them and have been through the ages. And then what we're doing is we're rooting these invitations in an ancient practice, an exercise that we can work out on through this week in our everyday lives to give us the power to, in the words of the prophet Jeremiah, walk down an ancient path with Jesus as he provides rest for our souls. Today's practice has actually proven to be the best way to help us to prepare for and overcome setbacks we may have. For the end result we're looking for, if you like the vision that we're, that we're looking towards, the picture of the future, if you like, to produce passion in our souls we're aiming for, is this particular image as described in Song of Songs chapter 8 and verse 5. Do you remember it? This is the image by which we'll measure transformation in our lives that when this storm is finally over, what people will say and you see in you and me is a picture of us coming out of this storm. But coming out of this storm leaning on someone, 
Jesus as our beloved through a new way of walking, a new intimacy with him. Today's invitation from Jesus is in John's Gospel. In chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10, when Jesus says, and I'm, I'm kind of summarising it here, I am the gate to abundant life. What does this mean? Very quickly, when we look at these, those couple of verses, very quickly, I see three things in this invitation Jesus makes. Firstly, this is an exclusive invitation to all for salvation. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved. Jesus is clear. He doesn't say I am a gate to salvation, implying that he's one of many gates to salvation. He says, I am the gate. He is the sole means. Yet this exclusive invitation, paradoxically, is made to all with the word whoever, placing it in all time and space who hear it, including those first hearers, which would have included the Pharisees. This is an exclusive invitation to salvation for all. This is also an exclusive invitation to all, which brings with it freedom. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will come in and go out. This is an invitation which brings with it a newfound freedom. We might call it a freedom from restrictions, which sounds so appealing to us in our context today. But what it probably means in its biblical context is in relation to serving him. This is an exclusive invitation to all. Thirdly, where we will be well nourished. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will find pasture. This is an invitation from Jesus saying that we will be well fed, where our souls will be nourished with him. Imagine sheep feeding on lush green pastures. All three parts of, of Jesus's invitation are then expressed in his promise, where he goes on to say how he is the gate to abundant life. Here's how. It's very easy to get confused, isn't it? And think the secret to finding abundant life is found by focusing on the word abundant, when it's actually found through the meaning of the word life. Let me explain. Many believe, maybe it's you, an abundant life is found through having more. It's about being about living our lives, chasing after more stuff. Or if it's not been about chasing after more stuff, it's found through chasing after more experiences. We've lived our lives believing breadth leads to depth. It sounds a really good soundbite, which we often latch onto today, today to live our lives by. But if you've ever chased after more, you'll know this is the result. It doesn't provide salvation, but it leaves us with an emptiness inside. It isn't freeing. It actually ties us up into greater restriction and it doesn't feed us. It leaves us with a hunger of disappointment and dissatisfaction. Chasing after more leaves us simply with this. Chasing after more. The approach is actually rather shallow. As I heard the futurist and founder of Asset, Dr. Patrick Dixon, say recently, what COVID-19 has made us realise is that so many of the things that we chased and spent so much time running after are completely nonsense and rubbish. Jesus too would say the same. Chasing after more is like a thief in your life. 
It will steal from you. It will break you and destroy you, robbing you of so much. And ultimately, it will kill you. There's a much better way to live. I don't have time this morning, but Jesus says the same in a different context in in Matthew's gospel, when he also used the imagery of a gate. The secret to the meaning of Jesus's term abundant life is found not in the word abundant, but the word life. Because in the New Testament part of the Bible, two types of life are described, distinguished by different Greek words. There is bios, the physical created life, and there is zoe. This is the spiritual, eternal life. When Jesus uses the word life in the context of abundant life, he's using the word zoe. And as John would go on to say in one of his letters, God gave us eternal life. And this life, zoe, is in his son. Jesus' invitation is to abundant life, centred upon eternal salvation, true freedom. And deep satisfaction. It's a promise of a God-filled life lived now on earth and not just in heaven. What an invitation. Why would we not want it? Yet often when we think about it, we feel dissatisfied in life. Thinking that we're not living an abundant life and we get worn down by it. This is why we need practices to help us. We call them practices because by definition they give us the power to be a different person and to do things which would not be possible under our own efforts or by simply trying harder. To help us to apply Jesus' invitation to live a life of abundance, we're going to use an ancient practice which is proven to be the best way to live a God-filled life on in any occasion. No other practice, in other words, can be more transformational in our life. No other exercise technique will help us to get to know God's voice better. If you want to be able to not only hear God's voice above all the other noises in our lives and the sirens of this world and the alarms competing and screaming for our attention, but also become even better at discerning, at knowing his voice, this practice is the number one way because Jesus said, his sheep know his voice. It's the practice of biblical meditation, of daily reflecting upon scripture, because the Bible is the only authoritative account we have of the life of Jesus and what he said. The purpose of biblical meditation is not to empty our mind as with some Eastern religious rituals which can appear difficult and mysterious. It's not about putting our minds in neutral and letting it wander. The purpose of Biblical meditation is to fill our minds. It's about focused thinking, to fill our minds with Jesus. Where we walk with Jesus, knowing his thoughts, knowing his ways, as we walk along, leaning on him, because his sheep know his voice. If we're a good warrior, this is an especially good practice and easy one to develop. Why? Because as the American church pastor Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, if you know how to worry, you already know how to meditate. For what is worry, it's simply focused thinking on something negative. We think about a problem over and over again and we chew it over, whereas meditation is doing the same thing, only focusing on the Bible, God's word instead of the problem. 
one of the best known techniques there is to daily reflect upon scripture is what's known as Lectio Divina, which is Latin for either godly or sacred or divine reading. It's a practice I often use in a form in preparing messages. It has four elements to it, sometimes expressed with slightly different wording and emphases. But the version that I'm using today comes from a book called Solo, a series of helpful guides, guided readings from the New Testament based upon the message translation of the Bible. And there's more information about that on the church website. Another good resource is actually produced by the Irish Jesuit movement. It's called Sacred Space. And of course, it was the founder of the Jesuit, St. Ignatius, for which this particular practice he saw associated with. As we briefly look at each of these four steps, don't see them as separate steps, as they will often overlap and weave into each other. Step one is to read. It's about choosing a, a passage of scripture. We could start with either of today's Bible readings, and reading it slowly, attentively, and repeatedly. Reading it with a a listening spirit, because the Bible is a book that reads us, even as we read it. Step two is to think. It's about using our minds to reflect which part of the reading the Holy Spirit may want to specifically highlight, and for us to listen to his voice. It could just be one word, or a phrase, or reverse. It's easy to get distracted at this stage, so that's why it's good to ask questions related to Kipling's so-called six friends. We know them. Who and why and what and where and when and how. Who do I relate to in this passage? What might be the, the key theme? How do I imagine this scene is being played out? What are my senses telling me? And why am I feeling this way? Step three is to pray. It's to turn what we've been meditating about into prayer, to converse with God. What might God be wanting us to do? What might he be challenging us about and how do we feel about that? You might want to be asking God questions like, what does this mean, God? Or how do we know? How do we know, God, that this is you speaking to us? And I suppose the the answer to that is in our reading when Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Step four is to live. The purpose of this practice is pointless if it doesn't enable us to have the power to live an abundant life throughout the day. If we take God's word to heart and truly make it part of us, it will be by its very nature It will change us. We'll find ourselves living a richer, deeper, abundant life, walking, leaning onto Jesus as our beloved. So as I close, a reminder. We are the only person who can train ourselves and we're also the hardest person to train. It's so frustrating. There will be many distractions around to stop us from doing this. As Jesus said, they will act as thieves to trying to steal and kill and destroy an abundant life with him. Maybe it's the urge to surf online or the constant pressing demands of social media robbing us of God moments. Maybe it's the distractions of homeworking and having so many other things now to do around home or things which can kill off an opportunity to be rich in him. Maybe it's just our ability to rebel and resist 
and waste time and steal away precious moments. It's why we have these ancient practices. They train us through an intentional desired action to receive from God the power to do what we couldn't do or accomplish on our own. Taking up Jesus's invitation to keep going in and out and through the gate with him, living a God-filled life, an abundant life, and how people will then see that life in us. A life walking with Jesus, where they say, who's this? Who's this coming out of this storm, leaning on their beloved? Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, who came to be the gate to life in abundance, teach us to meditate on your word, to read, to think, to pray, to live, that we would be filled by you, the living word, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our saviour, and thereby live a life of abundance. Amen.